Hello, and welcome to the Anchor Podcast, a ministry of Rock Harbor Church. We want to help guide and grow you in your walk with the Lord by providing an in-depth study of God's Word. So please grab your Bibles and let's set a course for spiritual maturity. Here's Pastor Brandon with this week's message. What's going on in Israel is uh, everyone's concerned because um, they're dealing with a lot of what we call in Hebrew, balagan. And balagan is a way of saying uh, a mess. And uh, we see Iran nuking up, and we have Hezbollah on the top, which is a front group for, for Iran. And then at the same time, U.S. is trying to broker a deal with Israel and Saudi Arabia. But at the same time, what, what's, what's happening overall, the general picture is, is Israel is trying to find its support in other ways other than the United States. And that's, that's sad in, in many respects that um, Israel cannot count on the Biden administration for anything. And so Israel is starting to find itself isolated, and that's why they're doing all these different types of moves with, uh, with uh, Saudi Arabia, Bahrain, and other places, um, because it's predicted that Israel will find itself alone in the whole geopolitical scheme, and then eventually that will send her into the arms of the Antichrist, as the Antichrist will then be her protector. And so what's getting set up now in front of our very eyes is that projection as America continues to pull away its support of Israel. Uh, obviously, the, Biden, the old Biden administration uh, continues its legacy as the Obama administration did of not supporting Israel, and that's scary. So watch, watch uh, what's going on in the Middle East with Israel. Pray for the peace of Israel, obviously, and the peace of Israel is obviously Messiah, but uh, pray for them because they're in a very hard position uh, and then obviously Israel is God's timepiece on um, the, the last days. Anyway, uh, we're going to segue now into uh, Genesis 22. And we're looking at the, the very popular, and, under, and people have probably heard this many times, the, the call of Abraham to sacrifice Isaac. And everybody knows the passage very well, but I want to drill down into the area of sacrifice and what is required for Abraham to be able to do this for God. And what we, we realize then is the Christian life is all about sacrifice. Unfortunately, what has been peddled in America uh, has been a, a perversion of Christianity. And that started with the church growth movement. It started with the purpose-driven movement. And it started with the seeker-friendly movement. You can go all the way back to the late 70s, early 80s, when all this junk happened. And what it did is it taught Christians in America that, that you wouldn't suffer. You won't feel any pain. This is all about having your best life now. Every day is Friday. Um, and, and just every, every Sunday turns into a motivational speech about you being being good and I'm good, so we're all good. And it, it perverted true Christianity in America. And so unfortunately, now when you start talking about sacrifice and blood and sin and evil and wickedness, uh, the modern day church in America is anathema to that. It's like, I don't want to hear that. I don't want to hear that I have to suffer pain. I don't want to hear that I have to sacrifice. Well, I'm sorry. This is Christianity. Christianity is a religion, a Hebrew religion, obviously, very Jewish, but requires sacrifice. The only way we relate to God is through sacrifice for goodness sakes. Think about salvation. Salvation is through a sacrifice of the Messiah on the cross in order to get access to God. That's the only way. So now that we are saved and we have come to faith in him, still in our sanctification, it is about sacrifice. You never get away from it. It's always about losing our old self. It's all about dying to old self and, and taking up our cross. It's all about that. And so what you're going to see from Abraham's life is, is betrayal of our life and what God wants out of us to be able to live the abundant life. Now, what you see with Abraham's life is, is what I want to show you is this, this uptrend for the larger call. And what God does is prepare us along the way for the ultimate call. And so he starts when we were, when we were young and we go through our 20s and 30s and 40s and up to uh, where we're at now for the final test. And this is Abraham's final test. And he's been prepared by God all the way through, just like you and I have been prepared. And what God will start doing with us is he'll call us to something. He'll call us to sacrifice then the result will happen, and whether we pass the result or, uh, uh, we, uh, or we fail, 
We'll learn from that. We'll connect to God. And then he'll let us grow and wait until the next call. And it's always with this bigger call to get to the mountain peak, so to speak, right? So your, your life will look like this upward trend of, okay, I, I, I passed this call, then I failed, then I passed, and I failed, and, and, and it's just an upward trend. But it's a, it's a trail of passing tests and failing tests. And the tests are meant to grow us. It's, they're meant to strengthen us, okay? It's not a temptation. It is a test to grow. And you'll see this pattern with Abraham, and it's a pattern with us. This is the pattern. Call, sacrifice, result, connect to God, grow and wait. So depending on where you're at in this, 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 this kind of pattern, this is where you're at. But it's always a call to sacrifice. Now, here's the interesting thing. Before I move any further into chapter 22, I got to do a little bit of backtracking in chapter 21. Now, in chapter 21, we have seen Abraham pass the test where you have Ishmael, who turned on him like a sheep-killing dog, turned on the Abrahamic covenant through his mama, and his mama taught him to hate, and he hated, and he hated Yitzhak or Isaac, and he turns against the whole thing. And so now Abraham has been forced to kick him out of the family. And so, unfortunately, many of us have had to do this a lot of times with our own family. We've got family members that are just wilder than a peach orchard boar hog, and there's nothing we can do about them, and so we got to kick them out. And they're like, dude, we're done. We're done. It ends today. And that is another test of whether you will sacrifice a relationship for the good because the, the relationship is damaging everyone else around, right? So Abraham passes this test. Now, here's the thing. Whether we pass tests or fail them, it, it, it gives us a witness out in the community, okay? And we're, we're, no, we're not different than Abraham. We pass tests and we fail them. But the problem is if we keep failing tests to sacrifice, we become known for that. And, and what Moses does before this big test is shows us a little bit more about Abraham that there's things that in Abraham's life that he needs to lose. He needs to sacrifice away. So here's the scene. And it starts out like this. It's a, it's a debate over a well. Okay? And you're like, what is the big deal about this? I'll show you in just a bit. And it came to pass that at the time of Avi Melech, now this is just a king in the Philistine area. Uh, it, 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 we don't know his name, but it's this, uh, we'd say it in English, Abimelech, but it's not his real name. It's like saying Pharaoh or Caesar or something like that. So Avi Melech and Pichol, the commander of his army, spoke to Abraham saying, God is with you in all that you do. So, the Abra so everybody in the area around Abraham realizes God is with Abraham. That's his testimony, okay? Which is a good testimony. But notice what he says. Now, therefore, swear to me by God that you will not deal falsely with me, with my offspring, or with my poster uh, uh, posterity, but that according to the kindness that I have done to you, you will do to me and to the land in which you have dwelt. And Abraham said, I swear. And you're like, what is the big deal about this? Well, the guy is saying, look, man, I know that God is with you, but I've heard rumors that you have a problem about lying. You have lied to Pharaoh and said that your, your wife is, was, was your sister, uh, sorry, it was your sister. And then you lied to another king and said the same thing again. So, hey man, I want to deal with you and I see that God's with you, but I get that you have this problem in you, so I need you to swear, otherwise I'm afraid that you're going to backstab me on this. That's not a good sign. That's not a good witness, Right? And, and that we hope that doesn't happen to us, that people say, okay, he's a believer, but then he's got all these issues, right? We don't want that. But what's the point? Moses is trying to show you that Abraham has areas that he won't sacrifice, that he won't give up, okay? It continues on. Then Abraham rebuked Avimelech. Why? Because of a well of the water which Avimelech servants had seized. So basically this well that Abraham dug in, in, in Beresheba, um, these guys seized it from him. So they kind of stole it from him in, 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 in that. And Avimelech said, I do not know who has done this thing. You did not tell me, and nor have I heard of it until today. So he's like, I'm claiming ignorance on this. If, if my guys did that, they didn't tell me. I, don't, I wasn't aware of this. Okay. So Abraham took sheep and oxen and gave them to Avimelech, and two of them made a covenant. Okay, so we have to have a covenant now because we can't trust one another. And Abraham set seven ewe lambs of the flock by themselves, and Avimelech asked Abraham, what is the meaning of these seven ewe lambs which you have set by themselves? 
And he said, you will take these uh, seven ewe lambs from my hand that they may be a witness that I have dug this well. So a typical uh, covenant in that day, you would give animals as a witness to the agreement that you're not going to backstab the, the, the other guy. Okay, therefore he called that place Be'er Shiva uh, because of the two of them swore an oath there. Now, now Be'er Shiva in Hebrew can be translated the well of seven. Shiva is seven in, in, in Hebrew, and, but the root is Shuva, which could be translated uh, oath. So it's, it's either the, the well of seven or the well of oath. Thus they made a covenant at Be'er Shiva, uh, so Avimelech rose with Pichol to commander, uh, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Again, uh, then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and, and there called on the name of the Lord, the everlasting God, El Olam, and Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Okay, why is Moses doing that? Because of the issues. There is a Peter Pan complex in all of us, and it's in Abraham. And Peter Pan is the concept that the boy who never grew up, okay? It's the, it, it represent, the story of Peter Pan represents immaturity in people, okay? Because Peter Pan, instead of having an adult relationship, would rather hang around with the lost boys. He would rather uh, have an imaginary uh, relationship with Tinkerbell rather than Wendy, Okay, he, it is, it is a, a story of human beings who refuse to mature, okay? How many 50-year-old Peter Pans do you know? There's a lot of them, isn't there? It's, the, it's the, all these guys that don't grow up, right? Amen? I said some, someone's raising their hand. You must know the Peter Pans, okay? But they're the boys that never grow up, and, and what, it, what it represents is there's an immaturity in a lot of people that refuse to grow. They will not sacrifice this immaturity to adulthood. Because what, is it, what does that mean? It means in order to do that, to be an adult, you have to be responsible. Oh, okay. Which is now, you know, a bad word for people. People would rather claim victimhood rather than responsibility. So there's a Peter, the, the Peter Pan, so to speak, in all of us, has to be sacrificed and it, you have to let it go. And that's what's going on with Abraham. What you're seeing here is the immaturity in Abraham that needs to go. Now, the other thing is the Pinocchio aspect. Now, Pinocchio, what, what was, why do I relate it to Abraham? Because Pinocchio lies. That's why his nose grows, right? Okay, so Abraham has a propensity to lie in order to manage life. Now, I don't think you have to go too far to understand this when you look at a politician these guys lie as, as easy as us to breathe, right? But what, what, what is happening, once people start managing life through lying and deceit, it, they don't even think about it anymore, right? It's just because it's, it's how they manage life. So Abraham is managing his life this way, and God doesn't want that. This is what God wants purged from him in order to pass the final test. And that's, that's the application for all of us. There's parts of us that need to be sacrificed on the altar so that we can fulfill the great mission and the call of God in our lives. So just to, just to uh, look at his whole life, there are eight, eight big tests that Abraham goes through. And what you're going to see is that God has been preparing Abraham for this final test. And it's the same thing with you guys and myself. He starts off testing us with smaller tests and see if we pass them. If we pass them, great. He'll continue to increase the test. But the life never gets, never gets done with tests, okay? So you, you learn from one and you move on. So here's the test. To leave home and not know where he's going. So he's asked to leave Ur of the Chaldees. Does he pass that test? Yes, he does. He actually does well. Then he has, he's asked to leave his family because they wouldn't uh, make or couldn't make the journey with him. He passes that test. And that's a test that everyone has, has to understand, that God's going to call you to do something, but not everybody's going to be able to follow you in that test. Okay? You're going to have to leave people behind in order to do the will of God. The third one is to stay in the land despite a famine and trust God's provision during the famine. Well, he fails that one. He goes and he panics. He goes into Egypt, lies about Sarah, says he's, she's my sister, gets into a whole mess, and like I said... Uh, the Hebrew word is balagan, which means a mess. He gets into a mess, a balagan in Egypt, comes out with a slave girl by the name of Hagar, and that creates a rivalry between his wife and her. 
Then four, to separate Lot uh, from Lot and be okay with giving uh, land to Lot, even though all the land belongs to Abraham. Does he pass that one? Yeah, he passes that one. Notice this up and down trend, okay? Five, to not take money from an enemy, the king of Sodom. What does he do? He passes that one. He refuses to take money from his enemy. He will not be bargained with with an enemy. Okay, great. And to wait on the Lord to fulfill his promises to bless him and Sarah with a miraculous son. Well, he failed that one. He went 25 years. They got impatient. And so he goes to Hagar, has a child through Hagar, and creates Ishmael, which is a disaster, right? And which has caused the Middle East problem, like I've mentioned, okay? Seven, to be truthful even when it might hurt you. He fails that test twice. In fact, this, this part of life is actually passed on to Yitzhak because Yitzhak or Isaac will practice the same maneuvering. He lies too to manage life. Anyway, uh, oh, and, and by the way, it passes on to Jacob too, right? right? He, he just, it's this familial pattern of lying to manage life because remember, Jacob actually deceived his, his own father, Isaac, how? He put on a coat, a hairy coat to deceive his own dad. So it keeps passing on. Okay, <clears throat> he fails that one. And the last one, he actually passes, and it's to give up Ishmael, who has become an enemy of the Abrahamic covenant and an enemy of what God's trying to do through Abraham because he's actually uh, persecuting little uh, Isaac. And, of course, he gets rid of him. And it's just like what you have to do sometimes in your own family. It's just like, hey, man, you're becoming a threat to everybody. You're wreaking havoc through our family, and we're now going to distance ourselves from you because of the nonsense that you're doing. And sometimes that's hard to do. But it is a sacrifice that is required to protect the good. And that's what he does. He passes that. So what's the principle in all of this, what you're learning with Abraham and even ourselves? There's this up and down roller coaster what we're on, Right? Pass test, fail them, that's kind of all of us. But here's the thing. This last test that he did with Ishmael, Ishmael became an enemy in his own house, okay? That test is whether or not you will sacrifice the relationship to protect the good, okay? And here's the thing. What we're dealing with in life right now, in these times that we live in, in order to confront evil, because evil is everywhere right now, requires you and I to sacrifice in order to confront these enemies. Now, the enemies that we have is ourselves. It's the, you know, our flesh. Our enemies are the world system that Satan controls. Our enemies are demonic, the demonic realm, right? So we have all these enemies coming against it. You will not be able to take on enemies unless you're willing to sacrifice. That's the only way you can deal with them. And think about your own self. If there's parts of you that need to, to get rid of, that you need to get rid of, you have to sacrifice that in order to become what you, God wants you to become. Okay, that's the principle. Oops. And so let me, let me show you some real-world examples of, of the sacrifice that's needed to confront enemies. So Virginia mom sues pro transgender teacher for pushing her child into prostitution. Okay. I mean, this is, we now realize how bad it's becoming, right? The grooming, oh, we're not grooming kids. Yes, you are. You, uh, the, the, they turned this one girl into a prostitute, for goodness sakes. So she's suing the school. Okay. So look, look what the, the woman is doing. In order to get justice, to confront the evil, she has to sue them. Okay? So what's the sacrifice on her part? She's going to have to pay for an attorney. She's going to have to spend money on a return attorney. She's probably going to have to get a retainer fee, uh, which is up to $10,000. And probably the whole thing, the lawsuit, will take about $300,000 to $350,000 to fight this. Okay? But what does that mean? That she's willing to confront evil and sacrifice financially to say, stop it. Okay? That's the point. So God bless her. But you realize in order to confront evil, it requires sacrifice, right? Now, look at this guy. Now, I, 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 this is a father who's confronting a mentally ill person who thinks they're a girl because his daughter went into the bathroom and this pervert went into the bathroom, okay? And he confronts her. But notice the sacrifice. My daughter told you to go to the bathroom and no man needs to be in there. Do you understand me? No, man. 
You are a man. You are created as a man. You are a man. Start acting like a man. Act like a man. Act like a man. You're a man. Act like one. What happened? Why? Why are you acting this way? I'm a man. So are you. No, I'm not. Then what are you? I was born into sex, dude. If you know what that is. As one both, everything. Sir, you're gonna have a problem if you keep going into women's bathroom. Somebody's gonna do something to you. I'm just telling you the truth. I've been this for years. You wanna do something to me? Okay. In order to confront that guy, that father had to sacrifice. And what did he do? He had to sacrifice in that store to stop the creep from doing it. Right? And almost get into a fight over it. Because in this store, where's the security? Why is the security not stopping this? Oh, because, you know, we can't, we can't stop these perverts from going into the girl's bathroom. So it takes sacrifice on his part to say, stop it, and almost get into a fight. But this is what we're talking about. You can't confront evil unless you're willing to step up your game and step up to the plate and take a swing. You have to. And this requires sacrifice. Amen? Okay. Now, let's go back to the text and look, look what it, God is requiring of Abraham. Now, it came to pass after these things. So you're talking about a 30 to 31 year gap between the expulsion of, of Ishmael to now this new test, okay? The ultimate test. So again, like, this is the pattern. Sometimes God will make you wait on him, okay? And you're to be learning and growing and getting ready for the next challenge. And here's the challenge, that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And in the Hebrew, the way is, Abraham responds is, Hena, which means, I'm ready. You tell me what to do, I'm ready to go. Tater chip, let her rip. It's kind of that mentality, okay? He's ready to go. He's, he's, not, he's not like, well, I'll, I'll think about it. No, no. His attitude is great. And that's the attitude of all of us. He's willing to do whatever it takes, whatever Yahweh wants from him. And here's the principle. What is he calling Abraham to do? He is calling him to the highest spiritual sacrifice Abraham will ever have to make in his life. Okay? And, 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 and here's what's happening to your life. God is preparing you for that final call, whatever that call might be. It is your call, but it is a call to sacrifice. It requires everything from you. It requires the highest thing must be sacrificed to do it. And I use the parable of the talents in, in, in essence. To some he gave five, to some he gave two, to some he gave one. Whatever your talent, and what I mean by your talent is all your history, all your gifting naturally and spiritually, all your experiences and all the things that you went through are, are, are creating your destiny, your call. Okay, and that call is the one to sacrifice. I don't know what you will be called to sacrifice, but you will be called to sacrifice something of your life. And, and again, you don't want to be the guy that went and buried his talent because it's all optional to you, okay? It's optional to, to you whether you will answer the call because you can be like the guy who, who received this talent and went and buried it. And what did Messiah, what did Yeshua say about the guy who went and buried it, and why? He said that he was afraid. That's why people don't sacrifice. They're afraid of the pain. Look, man, the pain is a redemptive pain. You must embrace the cross, your own cross. You must uh, 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 take it up, as he's mentioning, in order to do what he calls you to do. So then he says this. Then he said, take now. Now, the idea in the Hebrew is a retraction. A retraction of what? Your son, your only son. Wait a second. Do you understand what he's asking? He gave Yitzhak over to, 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 to him as a, a spiritual blessing and, and, and was miraculous birth because Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah's 90. They, they haven't, they, she, uh, her, she couldn't have babies and, and, and then at this, at this point in their life, after 25 years of waiting, God brings them a miraculous child. And now God is saying, I'm taking him back. 
I'm taking him back. It reminds me of what Job said. What did Job say? The Lord giveth and the Lord taketh away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Oh, you see the sacrifice. See, what happens to many of us, and Israel made this, this problem uh, happen a lot of times in their own life. God would bless them and give them many, many things, and it would be from God. And they would take those blessings and then all of a sudden think that they created it and that they earned it and, they, and they're the ones who manufactured what they had. And then the Lord, would t- to show them that, hey, wait a second, you've forgotten that I'm the one who gave it to you, would take them back and they would get mad at him. Here's the thing, the concept Everything that's been given to us is on loan from God, okay? He controls the very breath that comes in and out of our mouths, okay? Our lives are a, 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 are a blessing from him, a gift to us, right? Our children are a, a, a gift and a blessing to us. Our grandchildren are a gift and blessing, but they don't belong to us. They belong to him. We're just stewards of what he gives us. And the minute, the minute you start saying, mine, this is mine, then he cannot take away without you pitching a fit and protesting over it. So the idea that Abraham, what he's trying to teach Abraham is, Abraham, keep your hands open. Allow me to put into your hands what I want to put in, and if I decide to take away, I will decide to take away, but do not do this. Don't close your hands. You keep them open, Abraham. You be willing to sacrifice and lose that which I give you. And that's what he's asking him about his son, your only son. Because Ishmael is gone and the child of promise is here. Now the Hebrew word is yachid. And the yachid means that you're, this is your unique son. Okay? It's, it's, it, it, and, and in Hebrew culture, it's equivalent to the father. So if, like, if I sent my own son to do business for me in another part of Israel, that son would represent me and it is good, as good as if I am there. So this is when Jesus said, when you see me, you have seen the Father. It is as good as the Father being here himself if the Son is there. And, and so he represents Abraham as if he's there. So, and he goes, Isaac, whom you love. This is the one that's preferred for the Abrahamic covenant. This is the one God chose for the Abrahamic covenant. But notice on the right-hand side of, of, of the screen you have the very same terminology being used of Yeshua by the Father. And behold, a voice out of heaven. And when you hear a voice out of heaven, that's called in Hebrew the bat kol. The bat kol means the daughter voice or the echoing voice of God that comes from heaven. So this is God the Father saying, this is my beloved son, right? Your only son whom you love, right? And whom I am well pleased. Notice in John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. The begotten is a a bad translation of the Greek. It means the unique son. Like the yachid in the Hebrew is it's God's unique son, the second person of the Trinity. And then it says in John 5, 2, the father loves the son. This is the most precious thing God has is his son, Yeshua. Just like it is with Isaac, and Abraham. It's a picture of the father being willing to give his own son for others. It's a picture of that, okay? So that's why the two are paralleling each other. Okay, let's continue on. So the principle is this. The call of God on our lives is to sacrifice, okay? But it is also a call to increase responsibility, So Abraham is responsible for carrying the Abrahamic covenant, which is a covenant that blesses everybody. Because obviously through the Abrahamic covenant will come the Jews. And through the Jews will come the Jewish Messiah, Yeshua. Right? So he will bless all the world. That's a heavy responsibility. So he's asking Abraham to carry this load. Understand that the meaning of life is not to be stress-free. It is not to have no duties and have no responsibilities. The me- you will find meaning in life from God when you take on more responsibility for God. When you sacrifice more, that's where the essence of life is found. It is not found in leisure. It is not found in a life devoid of struggle. It is not found there. 
It is found only through sacrifice. And that's what he's asking Abraham. So the principle is this. You must answer the call by being willing to sacrifice the present for the future. And it demands more of you. It demands more character than what we are right now. See, what's happening, let me give you a, a, a great example. What's happening in this world is going to require more of you, more character than you have now, more than what I have. What's coming next year or the near after? I'm going to have to get my character ready. Well, the only way I can get my character ready is I've got to be willing to sacrifice the Pinocchio part of me, and I've got to uh, sacrifice the, 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 the Peter Pan inside of me because I won't be able to meet the test if I don't. See, here's what you have to think. You sacrifice the present for the future. Now, think of, in, 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 in the Hebrew mind, even this is a Middle Eastern mindset, they don't think in terms of like, how will this affect tomorrow, uh, sorry, how will this affect like 20 years from now? They go further than that. They think like this, how will my actions today affect 200 years from now, 500 years from now? That's how they think. Our current culture doesn't even think about tomorrow. They just live how they want to live and they don't think about the next day or how it could impact anybody. It's just living for the moment. That's how they live. But the Hebrew mindset, the biblical mindset thinks, look, everything I'm doing is going to affect like 300 years from now or 500 years from now. That's a more biblical mindset. And that's what, why we have to change because I don't want to affect People 200 years from now is the mindset. So anyway, you can see the people given a good example of, of, of you know, not just thinking for today, but thinking about the future. So here's a lady that's dealing with these school boards, and these school boards are nuts, and they tell her you can't pray. So guess what she does? She breaks out in the Lord's Prayer and starts praying in front of them. Good for her. And you know, yeah, God bless her, but, you, but what, what is she, what's the point she's making? It's a sacrifice because these board members are saying, you can't bring God into the public square. And she says, bless God, I will. Because if we don't, we will sacrifice our future on the altar of paganism if we don't do something. So that's the idea, right? Look at this. This is scary. California judge halts school district transgender parental notification policy. Now, let me give you some background on this. This is um, Chino Hills. Uh, school district. And they were the only district, I, I think there's more now, but they were the only district originally that said, look, these teachers are not going to be able to keep secrets from parents. The parents know, have, have a right to know what's going on with their kid, especially when the groomers in the, the public schools are teaching them to be lesbian, teaching them to be homosexual, teaching them to be transgender. And so Chino Hills was the only one. So, so Pharaoh Newsom targeted Chino Hills and hammered them, and now a, a judge is, is uh, putting a halt on that. Understand there's other districts that are not following Gavin Newsom either, but you understand this is a fight that we're all in, okay? We, you, 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 they're after the kids. You don't want to give parental notification? What, what, what kind of animal, what kind of authoritarian, what kind of totalitarian state do I live in? Ah, one that requires me to sacrifice in order to confront the evil. That's why. Let's continue on. And then he says, and go. And so the Hebrew is lech lecha, which means go and separate. So it's not only I'm going to take back what I gave to you, but I need you to go somewhere now that I'm going to tell you. And, and that's part of the sacrifice. He will ask you to give back to him what he gave to you, and then he will tell you to go into the unknown. And you have to be willing to go into the unknown. Because he's not going to answer the questions. He's going to say, lech, lech, lecha. Just go. And you have to say, wherever, Lord. Okay. You put on your shoes and you go. It's just like what he said in Genesis 12.1. I will tell you. Just, just go. We're getting out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Now, then he tells them, to the land of Moriah. Okay? Moriah in Hebrew. And Moriah, you can see that Yahweh's name is involved in the last phrase, the Y-A-H in the back of the name. Uh, that's a reference to Yahweh. Again, we're not, we're not sure what Moriah means. We know Yahweh's there, but we, we, our best guess is that Moriah means chosen by Yahweh. Okay? Well, again, we're not sure. We're not definite. It's a, hard word, it's a hard word to translate in Hebrew. But anyway, the land of Moriah 
as you can see, is north of Ber Er Sheva, where he, uh, Abraham is. And he would have to make the journey up to Moriah. It's, it, the, the journey takes about three days. Okay? Three days. And, of course, walking, but that's where it is. Now, Moriah is the modern-day city of Jerusalem. Okay? So this is Jerusalem uh, in, in David's day. And you see where the area is? That's the threshing floor that David bought uh, that was northern, uh, the northern part of Moriah. Uh, so you have the lower part, which is called, there's three peaks on Moriah. Um, the, the bottom part where you see the city of David, that's called Zion. Uh, and then the, the higher peak um, is where the Temple Mount will eventually be, like in Solomon's day here. And so you can see this coming from a, a southern standpoint. You can see Zion there, and then the peak of uh, where Solomon had the temple, and this is where the threshing floor was. But this is Moriah. So anyway, in Jesus' day, uh, this is what it looked like, and you still had the city of David, and there's the Kidron Valley. And then the Ophel is the, is the second peak, uh, before you get to the top peak. So the, 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 the Mount Moriah has three peaks on it, okay? And you can see from the topographical map on the right side how this, this, this uh, place is configured. Now, what you can't see, I wish I could show you, I, I probably should have did another map. What you can't see is there's three valleys here. Uh, you can see the Triropian Valley, and then the Hemlon Valley is off, it's cut off, and then you see the Kidron Valley. And actually... Um, it creates the Hebrew letter Sheen. Uh, the Sheen letter is, and, and the Sheen represents God's name. And, and so God has actually stamped his name on Mount Moriah. It's amazing, absolutely amazing. So, anyway, this is what it looked like in Jesus' day the temple, obviously Herod's temple and Mount Moriah. And then, uh, if you can look on this map, what I want to show you is you can see the Temple Mount there. And then you can see this is what the gates looked like around Jerusalem at the time. And then I want you to uh, see on the very left-hand side of the map that there's actually two sites where we believe that the crucifixion burial happened. And uh, again, it's, there's debate on this two, these two sites, but nonetheless, de depending on what side the archaeologist uh, is on, whether uh, it's Gordon's Calvary or Golgotha, and that, that, that's controlled by the Catholic Church there, either one is still on Mount Moriah, and it's outside the original first century gates. And why is that important? Because Christ was to be sacrificed outside the gates of the city, and, and he, but he still has to be on Moriah. And these two locations satisfy that because you're still on Mount Moriah. You're on the, the northern peak uh, of it. So, like, uh, so there's the Temple Mount right there. And let me see, I got, yeah, here it is. So if you, if you use the, one of the sites, you can see where Gordon's, or sorry, Golgotha is in reference to the Temple Mount, and that gives you, you're still on Mount Moriah, uh, is the idea. And what's the point? So God's taking him there. It's a three-day journey because when, sac when God calls to sacrifice, it must be at the right time, and it must be at the right place. Now, let me do some conjecture for you. This is very interesting. A lot of things has happened on Mount Moriah. Obviously, um, God uh, will ask Abraham to sacrifice Isaac there. Jacob will see Jacob's ladder in this area. Obviously, Messiah uh, was there and, and, and cleansed out the temple and whatnot. And Messiah will rule and reign from this area on David's throne after the second coming during the Messianic age. So there's a lot of biblical activity happening here, obviously. Now, the rabbi's conjecture, this is conjecture, is that since so many things are happening here and the Messiah will rule and reign here, they conjectured that Adam and Eve were created on Mount Moriah and that Mount Moriah was the original Garden of Eden. And then when Adam and Eve were expelled, they were expelled eastward. And this is where people would have come to do their, their sacrifice and burnt offerings to the Lord at this location. Again, the, topo the topography obviously has changed after the flood, but there's something special about this location. And I think it's not, it's not out of line to conjecture that because so many things happen. It would make sense that the redemption of man happens here and it would be the same place where man fell. It would make sense in that sense. But again, it's, it's conjecture, but... 
It's very special to God. And as, uh, in Isaiah, this is what Satan wanted. He wanted to sit on the mountain of God. This is the mountain of God. And this mountain's not a big mountain. It's only about 26, 2700, uh, 2,700 feet. But why is it so special? Because God says, that's mine. That's where my son will rule. And the minute you say that God says that, all the enemies of God say, I want that. That's how it works. So anyway, what does he want out of Abraham? He says, to offer him there as a burnt offering. Okay, this is where we get the word olah. Okay, now when you use the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, you get the word halokarposin. And, and when you look at that word and you see the etymology of that word, it's where we get the word holocaust. And so the, the word holocaust, that, which was used for the Jews uh, in, Nazi, in Nazi Germany and the ovens that they went into, that was the term they used, a Greek term that meant burnt offering because of the, the ovens and, and the slaughtering of six million Jews. And so that's why we call it the, well, the, the Jews call it the holocaust. So anyway, that's where we get the name. But it, it, the original Hebrew is Allah, okay? And he goes, on one of the mountains of the which I shall tell you. Now, it's Mount Moriah, but remember, there's three peaks. So it's going to be on the, 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 the top peak. So what is this burnt offering thing? Uh, and I, I think this is important for us to understand the, the background on this, to understand the sacrifice God wants us to make. The burnt offering was a free will offering. Sometimes it was for sin, Job will do it for his own family because they went and partied and he says, well, I better go do something because they probably messed up. And so he does burnt offerings for his family just in case they sin. So it can be used for, for uh, propitiations of sin. But typically a, a burnt offering, a whole burnt offering was a devotion of the individual uh, and a dedication of the individual to Yahweh. And so the patriarchs will do this. And, and then it becomes part of Mosaic law and it's required uh, in, in some terms, in some situations in the Mosaic law. Okay, but let's, let's, let's just understand something. What are the particulars about a burnt offering? Well, the whole animal will be, will be given over to God, except probably the hide. And that burnt offering, what God will say is a sweet, savor to his nostrils, so to speak, using anthropomorphic language. Because why? Because it represents the heart of the individual. It represents a whole dedication of the individual. And it represents the command. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind. That command is represented by a whole burnt offering. Okay, And then it obviously involved an innocent life. So usually they, they would use animals, obviously different types of animals, because an animal doesn't sin. It is sinless. It's an innocent victim. And so like I said, sometimes they would pass the sin on the animal if this was for sin, and they would they lay their hands on the head and, and communicate the sins, pass the sins on to the animal, and then the animal would be sacrificed. But again, what was it telling those who did it, that acceptance by God is through sacrifice, through blood sacrifice. There's no other way to him other than blood sacrifice. That was the message. Then the animal, what you would do is take the animal and cut it up. So you would, you would sever the head off, you would take the entrails out and wash the entrails, and then you would also cut off the legs and separate them out, and then you would separate the fat off of the animal and separate that out and put it on the wood and then burn that all together. Now, what did that represent? Well, it represented the totality of the person. So the head of the animal represented the, the, the thoughts and judgments of the person, that I'm, I'm dedicated to the Lord in my head, in the way I think. And then the idea of the entrails being taken out and set, set aside was that's where the emotions were, that my emotions are not driven uh, by anything other than obeying God. So my emotions come second. I'm not driven by emotions. I'm driven by my theology. And then the legs uh, of the animal were separated. Why? Because that represented our walk with the Lord, the, the, the worshiper's walk with God and how he behaved. And then the fat. I know in our culture, we're like trying to get rid of fat, right? That's the main thing. But in that culture, most people were starving to death. Understand that, Okay. So when you had fat on you, it represented actually good health because you weren't starving to death. 
And so fat was, on the animal would be separated out and would represent the good part of your life, that, that, that represented the general health of your life. So all of this was separated out, and you had to do this because it represented you and the totality of you. That's what it represented. Now, here's what you would do. Then you would wash the entrails. You'd wash the animal inside, representing the washing of the word of God. And then if you did a bull or a lamb or a goat or a turtle dove, it all meant different things. If you sacrificed an ox or a bull, it represented your faithful labor to the Lord, your hard laboring for the Lord. If you, if you sacrificed a whole burnt offering lamb, it rep represented your submission to God. And then the goat was a single purpose, uh, single mindedness or like uh, leadership that you submitted to the leadership of God. And then the turtle dove represented that you submitted in humility and meekness to God. So depending on what animal you used, that's what it represented. It represented all of that. And then obviously the fire would consume the whole offering because there is to be nothing left of you. You are to be 100% devoted and committed to him is what it represented. And this is where the term wholeheartedness comes from in the, in the Hebrew Old Testament. I want all of you, every part of you. And so what does it do? What does it mean? The principle then from the olah or the whole burnt offering comes to this. Sacrifice requires that you give up the freedom to do anything you want to do. Now, what I'm talking about is freedom of choice. As a free will creature, you have a choice to do anything you want to do. But that's not biblical freedom. That's what you see in the culture. They do anything they want to do. If a guy says, I want to have a baby, they say, okay, I'm a, I'm, I'm a guy, you must accept me as a guy. That's doing anything you want to do, right? Which is insane, okay? So we, as a believer, we give up the right to do anything we want to do. We come to what we call freedom, true freedom, which means I obey what God wants me to do. I do what God wants me to do, and I'm free to do that now. Okay, That's what true freedom means. It's what our founding fathers meant when they established the United States. When they said uh, the pursuit of happiness... It's not like, well, I just want to be happy and have my best life now, so I want to be able to do what I want. Don't tell me what to do. I'm just going to free to smoke dope, have sex with anything I want to have, and, and you leave me alone. That's not what they were talking about. The happiness clause there was meant that, that I would do the highest good in keeping the Judeo-Christian ethic, which causes a good for the community and an intrinsic good for me. That's what freedom meant in America. Now it's freedom to be whatever you want. But see, sacrifice means I'm free to obey, okay? And I must keep in mind that when I obey and sacrifice, it will affect my kids, my grandkids, and my community, and my church, and, 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 and down the line. That's how much it affects. So think about this, what we're doing. As an example of the freedom to do anything, okay? I want you to think about this. The our culture, the freedom to do anything. So we already know there's problems in our scientific community now that are, is woke. We know the medical community is woke, right? As an Because now they're free to do anything they want. They say masks work, but they don't, okay? They say, take this, this poisonous shot and you'll, be, you, you, you'll, you'll have health when you don't, okay? So it's free to do anything you want. And so now the science, and, oh, and they tell us that the, the world is burning up, we're having global boiling and yada, 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 and, and drive, your, your, drive your electric cars. So now they're going to add indigenous knowledge to science, that we need to incorporate that. Do you understand what we're talking about here? We already have the scientific community and the medical community insane as they are now, okay? But now we're gonna bring in raw, raw paganism into the scientific community and the medical community and say, we're gonna listen to the shaman from the American Indians tell us how to practice pagan science. It's Katie bar the door. What are you talking about? I mean, this was laughable. 
We're going to bring shaman in from American Indians to tell us how to do science? Are you kidding me? That's just a return to paganism. And, and, then, and you want kick Christianity out. Huh? Who's irrational here? How about this? Freedom to do anything you want to do. Come on our borders. We don't care. Come illegally. We'll give you $2,200. Even though people on Social Security only make about average of $1,400 that paid into Social Security. But don't, fine. You just come through our borders. We'll give you $2,200 right off the bat. Forever. For life. So D.C. Mayor warns illegal immigrants will destroy New York City. Duh. Duh. I love it when the leftists get their own taste of their own medicine. This is what they've been doing to Texas, New Mexico, Arizona, and California. Right? And now he gets a tell. Oh, this is going to... Yeah, right, dude. But this is what happens when you don't have any rules. Do anything you want to do. Come across our board. That's fine. Take $2,200. This is scary right here. And this requires sacrifice from you and I. California passes bill to strip parents of custody if they don't affirm a child's gender. What? Okay, think about it. Assembly Bill 957 known as a Transgender Gender Diverse Intersex Youth Empowerment Act, passed the California Assembly by the party line of 57 to 16 vote this last Friday, okay? The state Senate passed the bill on Wednesday by 30, uh, 30 to 9 vote. So forget about Sacramento, they're gone. The bill would include a parent's affirmation of the child's gender identity as part of the health, safety, and welfare of the child. Okay, so all this requires is Pharaoh Newsom to sign this into law. Okay, that's all that's left. And you know he's going to do this. Do you understand the implications? What it means is this. You as a parent, if, if the school is grooming your kid and they come home to you and say, hey, mom and dad, I'm now transgender, I'm bisexual, I'm lesbian, I'm homosexual, and you say, whoa, time out. No, you're not. Who told you that? And you pitch a fit about it they could possibly report you that you now are a danger to your child's health and welfare, which means they could possibly CPS take your kids away from you. That's the implications of this law. Now, tell me this. You have to sacrifice to stand up to that, right? That's crazy. This is nuts. This is what I'm talking about. The reason we're in the situation that we're in is because too many people won't sacrifice and confront evil. They just sit and let things happen. Well, I'll just pray for it. Wait a second. We need you to act. We need you to get in these people's dishes. And look at this. Oklahoma district hires drag queen who was previously arrested for child porn as elementary school principal. What? What? See, freedom to do anything you want to do. I can't, I, well, who am I to judge? Who am I to say she can't be a principal? How dare you, Brandon? What? No, no, I will dare it. And I will say no, this is per, uh, perversion, right? Crazy. Now, this, is even, uh, gets, uh, this gets my goat even more. New Mexico governor issues orders suspending the right to carry firearms in Albuquerque. Wait a second. Wait a second. This is a constitutional issue. It's the Second Amendment. You, nobody has the right to say you can't carry a firearm. She said, well, we're going to do it for 30 days because there's been so many shootings. You, I'm sorry, you can't suspend the Constitution. That is a tyrant. That is an authoritarian. That has to be confronted. And I hope the people of New Mexico push back on this. Okay? But again, if they push back, it will require sacrifice, won't it? They will have to give up their reputation. Oh, this is one of those gun-toting nut jobs. The God in the Bible nut jobs. That's one of those guys. It, 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 you'll have to give up something. I hope Americans are willing to sacrifice because so many people have sacrificed to get to this point. I hope we're willing to do that. The final test. And here's where we're going to leave. The final test is this. Will Abraham have enough devotion and faith to the Lord to surrender that which is most precious to him in order to, call, to do the call of God on his life. Now, the call, here's the call. The Abrahamic call is to, to bless all the nations, and it's going to come through Isaac, and, and obviously the, the, the 12 tribes of Israel, and then eventually the Messiah. So this is a big call, okay? But in order to do it, he has to give up 
the most precious thing to him, which is his own child. It seems contradicting, doesn't it? But this, wait, 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 wait. Lord, the, the promise is going through him, but yet you want me to sacrifice him. This seems to contradict. And what does God say? He doesn't, he doesn't say, well, let me explain it to you. He doesn't do that, does he? Abraham, just do what I tell you to do. Do what I tell you to do. Don't, don't ask any questions. Just do what I tell you to do. I want to know if you are an Allah to me, if you're fully dedicated to me, or is there something you're going to hold back from me? Are you going to hold back your own child? And it's the child I gave you. Are you going to hold him back? Because he's mine, not yours. Are you going to claim possession of him? Or will you give him to me? You see where the test is? The test is yours too. The test is mine. Right now, I want you to think about your life. What is the most precious thing to you right now? Your children? Your grandchildren? Because God is asking you to give that to him if you're going to complete the mission. Now let me help you. Messiah said this. Then he said to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself. Sacrifice. Take up his cross. Sacrifice. Follow me. Sacrifice. You're not getting around it. Now, this is not a salvation passage. Please don't interpret that. Too many Calvinists have interpreted this as a salvation passage. It's not. It's a discipleship passage because of the whole context. It's not a call to salvation. It is a call for something else. To, so the idea of come after me is a rabbinic term. It's a Jewish idiom for become one of my disciples. Many people are believers, but they're not disciples. That's another category, by the way. If you want to complete the mission in your life that God has for you, you must do these sacrifices. And then he says this, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it. Again, not talking about salvation. What is he talking about? He's saying, look, man, if you want to hold on to your old life, the Peter Pan inside of you, the Pinocchio inside of you, and you don't want to grow, you don't want to mature, fine, that that's your decision. That's yours. So you, you can do that. I'm not going to force you to do this, but I'm calling you to something higher, something bigger, something for you to achieve, and I've prepared you for this. And if you want that life, the abundant life, the free life, I'm asking you to give up the Pinocchio. I'm asking you to give up Peter Pan or whatever the issue is, your addiction, whatever. Because if you give this life up, you will gain your life is what he's saying. That's the idea of save his life, we'll lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. So I'm willing to give up my old life, the way, my way of managing life, my things, because I want this this life of sacrifice, I want that. Great, because you'll find it. And that's the only way you'll find it. You're only gonna find the abundant life through sacrifice. For what profit is it a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now, this passage typically is interpreted as salvation. He's not talking about salvation whatsoever. That's not the context. What he is saying is, look, what profit will you, believer, if you live for yourself, you, you, you live a comfortable life, you're not willing to sacrifice, you are a total avoiding of pain life, you live for the pleasure principle, you build your own kingdom, you build your own fiefdom, what profit will it have you when you die and stand before me and I tell you, you wasted your entire life? What profit will it be? Because you wanted to live for that day. You were not willing to sacrifice the present for the future and store up treasure in heaven. Now you're in heaven and there's nothing I can give you. You wasted your entire Christian life because you wouldn't feel the pain. You wouldn't go through the sacrifice. You wouldn't give it up, would you? And at the end of the day, those who are willing to lose it will gain it. Look what he says. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will what? Reward each according to his works. 
This is not a salvation passage. This is a reward passage. And he's saying, look, man, it's not worth it. It's not worth it to keep the little measly crumbs that you have in this life. Give it up now because their eternal rewards are forever. They mean everything. And so I'm asking you, sacrifice now. And I promise you, he says, I will give you the rewards that last forever. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for what we can learn through Abraham's life as we continue to look at this, the dynamic of sacrifices everywhere. And I just pray, Father, each one of us could realize that's our call. Whatever each person here is called to do, we are called to sacrifice. We are called to give up. We are called to leave our old life and go into the new abundant life. Help us to do that, Father. Help us to give up those, those pieces of us that are still left there. I pray, Father, if there's anyone that hasn't come to faith in Messiah today, they would do so, understanding he died on a cross for their sins, was buried and rose on the third day to give everlasting life to anyone who believes in him. Thank you, Father, for the lesson. Bless us as we go now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for joining us for another lesson. We hope that this message is a blessing for you and helps you grow towards a more mature understanding of God's Word. For more information about our ministry, we invite you to check out our website at rockharborchurch.net. Until next time, remember, keep looking up for our redemption draws near.